Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. If you remember, as we went through chapter 16, I shared with you in chapter 16, the seven bowls of wrath, which is the final judgment of God. That's the final thing that God's going to do. When we go to chapter 19, as we'll get there next week, we get to chapter 19, we'll move into the four hallelujahs and we begin to see uh, how God and what God's going to do in making all things new. And we're going to get into that fun time, apart from one little section where there's the military defeat of the enemy and, and God's rulership over the military as Jesus comes as Lord of Lords. But chapter 17, we dealt with over the last two weeks, dealt with the corrupt religion of the tribulation, the corrupt religion of the tribulation. And for that to be put down, it had to be put down. And God said that he was going to judge that. And he did judge that. And he actually used the old enemy and used the antichrist he used the false prophet, used the people of the world to push that down whenever the false prophet, whenever the Antichrist eventually is going to be want to be praised and worshiped as the one true God. And so we saw the dealing with and the cleansing out of that corrupt religion at that time. And then God will deal with the Antichrist. Beginning in chapter 18, it's a continuation of how God is dealing with the corrupt systems of the world. Remember I told you that if Satan and all the demons of hell took a vacation, you would still have to deal with sin in this world because sin corrupted the world. Whenever man fell, sin entered into the world and every system of the world has been corrupted by that sin. The religious system was corrupted. Therefore, God had to deal with that. The political system is corrupted and God will have to deal with that. When it comes to the aspect of the economic system, commerce, it is corrupted and God has to deal with that. Whenever it's the social system of the world, it has been corrupted by sin and God in his redemptive power has to judge it. He has to destroy it and then he is going to remake it. So here in chapter 18 is where God gives us the insight of what and how he is going to deal with cleaning up the corrupt political, social, and commercial systems of the world. In other words, how is he going to do that? And what's he going to do in that? And this little section is just to explain to you that what has happened in chapter 16, whenever those seven bowls of wrath, what actually happens in regard to each of these social systems, each of these aspects in society how they're being taken care of. It's, it's a greater expansion of what happened in chapter 16. You'll see that in just a minute. So I want you to get that in your mind. The, the uh, narrative and the timing of it goes from chapter 16 over to chapter 19 with chapter 17 and chapter 18 giving us a fuller explanation of God's redempt, redemption over all the social systems of the world. You got that? All right. Now, here's an interesting thing that I want you to write down. I want you to put in your mind. Whenever we saw in chapter 17 that that old corrupt religion, that scarlet uh, harlot, that old wicked 
system of religion, when it gets struck down and it gets destroyed, it's destroyed by man and no one weeps. You need to write that down. No one weeps. But we come to chapter 18, we're going to see on the political side, as well as the commercial side, as well as the social or what you would call the pleasurable side, that whenever those things, the Babel and the great get struck down, do you know what the people do? They all weep and mourn. They grieve. They're heartbroken because the political, commercial, and social system in this world, as corrupt as it was, was torn down, which helps you to understand something. You need to get in your mind. In the world that we live in, here's what you need to get in your mind. People in this world, if left in sin, will care more about politics, more about commerce and economics, and more about their social life than they ever care about religion. All right? They will care more about that than they will anything to do with religion. Well, I can see partly that religion is empty anyway. Amen? We do not promote, in Christianity, we do not promote a religion. We do not want you to come and join our religion. We want you to join in a relationship with a saving Lord and Savior named Jesus who died on the cross for you. Now, if you want to have excitement in your life, move into a relationship because that's the greatest joy you have is in a relationship. But religion in itself, especially when religion is corrupted, it will cause no one to weep. But people will weep over politics. They'll weep over economics and commerce and what they have in their pocket and what they don't have and what they need and over the social systems of the world and the pleasures of life of whether or not they have the pleasure of life. Sin affects us in so many ways. Do you realize that? And sin has affected each and every one of those things. Think about this for a moment. What sin did to each of those systems, to politics and government, man became a power seeker when it came to politics and government became a power seeker rather than being submissive to God, which is what we were called to be man wanted to rule and therefore wickedness caused every method and means to be employed in order to corrupt civilization and life. I don't care what kind of political system that you will find throughout history. I don't care what has been every one of those political systems is corrupt. Every one of those political systems has sin as a part of it. And in the midst of that sin, it's because man wants to rule. Man wants to be in charge where God is supposed to be ruling, isn't it? That was the struggle that Israel had. You remember what Israel asked of God? We want a king. That's what they said. And God said to them, you don't need a king for I am your king. Well, when God's your king, you don't need a king, do you? But they said, no, but we want to be like other nations. They all have kings. And so God allowed them to have kings. And you know what? The first of those kings was Saul. And you know what happened immediately with Saul? He got corrupt. Sin corrupts politics. It, It corrupts government. It corrupts leadership. You don't have to go very far from election day here to find that in America. Amen. 
Our republic, our democracy is the greatest one in the world. But boy, we can't settle about elections because we're going to have to sue somebody and go here and count chads and everything else. You know what it's all about? It's all about not whether they get to make great decisions for you. It's whether or not they get to be in power. And that's the problem. That's what sin does. And sin did that to every form of government that there's ever been. That's what sin does in the social system. But what did sin do to economics and commerce? It created a world that was built on having, getting, keeping, and protecting. It's really what's been built on is called greed. It's all about us. It's all about us. What can I have? What can be for me? What can I accumulate? How can I save? Rather than what Christ has called us to do, what did the gospel teach us? It teaches us about giving, sharing, blessing, sacrificing. That's what we've been called to do. But that's not what you find in an economic system, whatever system it might be. If there be those who advocate a socialistic system, it's corrupt. Even in our, bless the Lord, don't shoot me, even in our capitalistic society, it can be and is at times corrupt. It's not about us just having more and more and more. It's having to bless others. If we could ever develop a capitalism that had compassion in it, then it would be a wonderful thing. But we don't see much compassion in capitalism. What I'm simply saying is not, not, no matter what economic system we have, it's corrupted by man. It's corrupted by sin. God has to deal with that. How did, it, how did sin affect our social systems or our priorities? Well, Paul said it best. He says that in end times, the number one priority will be the pleasures of men. Men will become seekers of pleasure rather than what? Seekers of God. And that means that we live in a world where we have to constantly fight within our own spirit constantly fight within a world that moves us in that direction that we are not just always building life on what makes me happy what do i like what can i get where can i go what can i do whatever makes me happy whatever gives me pleasure versus the fact when god has called us to purpose and to submission to his will and to fulfill his plan in this world, and that doesn't always mean it's going to be pleasurable in life. But I'm simply showing you that sin affects us. It affects this world. And here in chapter 18 is where God reveals how he's going to deal with that and how he's going to clean up this corrupt system, these corrupt systems of life. What does he say he's going to do? Begin there in chapter 18, verse 1. Here's the announcement. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority in the earth, was illumined with his glory. And he cried with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. 
And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you may participate and not participate in her sin and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I am as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Can you leave your Bibles open? It says the, the angel comes, a strong angel, to announce that fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Babylon, being that same place where they had the wicked and ungodly religion, was also the place where Nimrod first established a government, a dictatorial government, where he was the emperor, where he established first the government. So Babylon is the birthplace of not only the religion of that time, but it was our idolatrous religion, it was also the birthplace of government. It became the birthplace of merchants or commerce or economics. It became the birthplace. It was the beginning place though. He says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. He says, now that the, the false religion has been dealt with, now let's deal with the other aspects of Babylon, which had to do with politics and economics and social life. He says exactly why this aspect of life and the social life will be judged. Look there in verse two. As she has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. It says this thing that God created, this thing that should be good, these things that are a part of mankind's life, it has become a place where demonic power has taken charge and evil spirits have taken charge and where it should be a blessing and where it should be good is being directed by the wrong things and the wrong spirits and the wrong hearts. And because of that, she will be judged. All of those things will are the reason for her being judged. Listen to what verse three, the second reason for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality to be immoral, to do, to miss out on what God says should be happening. Who has done it? Look at it in verse three. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality. And not only that, the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. In other words, it says the kings of the earth have been corrupted by it. The merchants of the earth have been corrupted by it. This system of sin is affecting all aspects of life. Skip verse four and go to verse five. That's what it says about her, Babylon. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Why did Babel, you remember whenever the city of Babel, why did Babel, the city of Babel or the tower of Babel, why did they get dis distributed? Why did they have a confused language? Why did that happen? Because they built that tower to reach to where? Into the heavens. Well, listen to what it says. The tower's been torn down. The tower didn't reach to heaven, but Babylon in all of these years, her sin has piled up high enough to reach to heaven. She might not have built a, a, a tower there, but her sin is enough that has built a tower almost that reaches in to heaven. 
It goes on and says, pay her back even as she has paid. Give back to her a double of that portion. It tells you another reason. Verse 7, why the judgment? To the degree that she, here's pride, glorified herself and lived sensuously. Living a sensuous life. To the degree, give her torment and mourning. For she has said, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. This is what she's saying about herself. And will never see mourning. I will never see grief. She is blind. Full of pride, blind, sensual. All of those are descriptions of those systems of politics, economics, and social life. That's what sin has done to these things. What it said there in verse 4 though. Listen what it says. Right in the midst of this you hear another voice. I heard another voice from heaven saying. Come out of her my people. That you may not participate in her sins. And that you may not receive of her plagues. It's like Jesus just enters in right there. And when he's talking about all the sensual things of life. And the corrupt things of life. He comes in and he announces not just for this day, not just for the time when the judgment's going to happen. It's as though he announces for all of life, listen, be ye separate. (laughs) Be different. Don't fall into that trap. Be godly. Be different. Don't be like that. Don't let sin affect your politics, your government. Don't let sin affect the way you view things and commerce and economics. Don't let sin dictate what you're going to do with the pleasures of life and in your social living. Don't let that happen. Be ye separate. Why? Because this attitude, this heart, this sin is going to be judged. And you as my people, I don't want you to experience that judgment. Be ye different. Is that not what Jesus called us to do? Whenever Jesus walked here, go back and read the Gospels. Go back and read the Beatitudes. Go back and read whatever Jesus said. What was he constantly doing? He was constantly calling us out saying, hey, don't be like that. Don't live like that. Don't think that way. Don't respond that way. Don't react that way. Be different. Don't be of this world. You are in the world, but you don't have to be of the world. And if you will be in the world, but not of the world, you can make an impact upon the world. Amen? An impact for the cause of Christ. But you can't if you're in the middle of it. You can't if you're in the middle of it. You're only going to make a difference when you are separated from it and there's something distinct about your life. And isn't that true? How many, how many of us in our lives, we don't find every day, somehow, some way, something's pushing us to try to compromise, to try to take a shortcut, to try to do the wrong thing, think the wrong way, react the wrong way. Constantly in this world, we're facing that. For that is the sin That is the sin of Babylon that affects all aspects of life. And Jesus calls us to be separate, to be different, so that we can be blessed rather than being disciplined. Amen. How many of you want to be on the blessing side? I see those few hands. The rest of y'all, y'all must be asleep. All right. on that side. How many of you want to be on the curse side? Where are those hands? Get them up. Well, you didn't want to be on the blessing side. Which side do you want to be on? You're on the blessing side or you're on the discipline side. Which side do you want to be on? 
Jesus says, be ye separate that you could be blessed. For if you find yourself in the midst of Babylon, when it falls, you will be affected by that. And the plague will be upon you at that point in time. Be ye separate, be ye different that you might experience the blessings of God. Amen. Now, look what it says regarding the response or the reaction of the world. So what happens in verse 9? Okay, Babylon is going to be judged. She's going to be judged. She's going to fall. She's going to falter. You know how long it's going to take her to falter? In verse 8, it says this. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence, mourning, and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. How long is it going to take for her to be judged? How long? One week. One day. One day that judgment's going to fall. One day. You got it? That's a 24-hour period. One day that judgment's going to fall upon her. That's not all, though. Going to give you more details about that. That judgment's going to come. How is the world going to react? Here's the first reaction. Of the governments of the world are the kings. Look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth. You ought to underline that. The kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city. Listen to it now. For in one hour her judgment has come. How long did it take for her to go to be destroyed? One day? No. One hour. And what do the kings do? The kings of all the earth looking over this. What are they doing? They're weeping and grieving and lamenting over the fact that this system, this governmental system, this power has now been destroyed in an hour. They're all weeping. But that's not all. Look what happens in verse 11. And the merchants, that's commerce, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. And listen to the cargo they had. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen, purple and silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots. Listen to this, and slaves and human lives. They even do commerce with slaves and human lives. Can you believe that? It happens today. It's called human trafficking. You ever hear of that? That's what that's all about. It happens today. They don't care. Those people don't care about the life of anybody. All they're caring about is the money they make. And why are they weeping? They're weeping because nobody's going to buy their goods. They're weeping because the city's not going to be there so that they can trade their goods for the money and wealth that they want. That's why they're crying. Look at verse 14. And the fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. 
The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, she who had, was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones. Listen to verse 17. And in one hour, such great wealth was laid waste. How long? One hour. And what did this destruction do? It destroyed all of the wealth. All of the wealth. All those things that make to them life precious. All that's gone. Well, if we weren't, if we were a little smarter, we could understand that certainly can happen. Amen. Hurricane Michael came in into Florida and through Georgia and just look at the TV cameras or go down there or whatever you want to do. And you see that in a matter of hours, all of that wealth was what? Laid waste. All of that wealth that was accumulated in all that time was laid waste. It can happen. And that's what happens to Babylon. In one hour, she's destroyed. And the merchants are out there and they're crying and they're weeping and they're lamenting because nobody's going to buy their stuff anymore and they're not going to have the things they need anymore. And they're weeping and mourning over those things rather than whether or not they have a relationship with God. But that's not all. Look at verse 17. After the first one line, it said, in, in, in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. Look at, look at the next line. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor, not just the shipmaster, not just the sailors, but the passengers. Why are they passengers? Well, they must be taking a cruise. <laughs> or they're traveling somewhere. They're not working on the ship. They're not the shipmaster. So they're taking a cruise. They're, they're traveling somewhere, doing something they want to do. And look what it says. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like the great city? That's talking about what city is like this. It has everything you could imagine to offer. It has all the sensual things of life, anything that could could stir your senses, anything that could bless you anyway, anything that make you happy. That city has it. What city is like that great city? People will say that about New York City, won't they? Man, there's no city like New York City. All the things of New York, all those wonderful things, anything you want in life is going to be in New York City. What great city, it says. Look at verse 19. And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, Weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For here it is, in one hour she has been laid waste. I'm here to tell you, if the Bible tells you something one time, you can bank on it. Amen? If it tells you two times, memorize it. If it tells you three times, it is absolutely guaranteed, and in three times, in a matter of a few verses, it says the same thing. In one hour, in one hour, all the wealth is gone. In one hour, it is laid waste. In one hour, it is destroyed. There's coming that time that in one hour, on that one day, God will judge. God will judge. 
Now, look what it says in verse 20. Very interesting verse here. God speaks to his children, to the saints and apostles and prophets throughout all of, all of history. Okay? Remember when sin entered the world, it began to corrupt everything. It was corrupted back in those days in the BC time. It's corrupted in the AD time. It's going to be corrupted all the time till we get. Everybody has been affected. Everybody, especially affected those who are the redeemed. So look what it says in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. That's what it says. We in heaven, those in the heavenlies, it says now it is time to rejoice because God's judgment has come upon the sin of the world. For what did they do and what did Babylon and all of those things do over the history of of life? Look what it says in verse 24. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the blood of the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. Throughout human history, different governments, different forms of economics, different forms of social pleasures, All of those things being corrupted have worked against the church of the living God, have worked against the believers in God, and have been used to cause them to die, to be persecuted, and to be put to death. And God says right now, I want you in the heavenlies to rejoice because judgment has finally come. The righteousness of God will prevail. And the answering of that question of, oh God, When are you ever going to bring forth your revenge? When, oh God, are you going to stand forth in your righteousness? When, oh God, are you going to defend your people? He says, rejoice, for this is the time. This is the time when Babylon the Great will be taken down in one hour. Rejoice. Now, he goes on, back up to verse 21, and tells us, some semblance of how this may happen. Some idea. Listen to what happens. How is it going to be destroyed in one hour? Verse 21. And a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence. And will no longer, will not be found any longer. You ought to underline it. Great Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Now this right here, these verses right here are a further explanation of what we talked about in chapter 16. Chapter 16, the seventh vial, the seventh bowl of wrath. Remember what it said about that? Here was the seventh bowl of wrath, verse 18. And there were flashes and lightning, chapter 16, verse 18. Sounds and peals of thunder. There was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. Listen, and the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. 
And Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon the men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, because this plague was extremely severe. So it tells us it's going to be destroyed by an earthquake. The islands are going to be no more. And it tells us here that Babylon will not be found. So what happens? What's taking place? Well, many theologians believe that what's going to happen there is going to be this massive earthquake. A massive earthquake that is beyond what what any man has ever seen. It's even beyond what it says Prior to this, in the Revelation, is going to happen. It gives multiple earthquakes, and almost every time it introduces, and there's never been an earthquake like this. There's never been an earthquake like this. And this last one, it says, there's never been an earthquake like this since man has been on the face of the earth. So it is an earthquake like what we have never, ever imagined. To this point, it is going to split Babylon into three parts. It's going to split Babylon into three parts, but not only that. The thought is that in regard to those earthquakes and how violent it's going to be, will it will probably uh, produce tsunamis that produce tidal waves that are beyond what man had ever seen. And that that tidal wave literally in a matter of an hour could wipe out everything in that city, wipe out everything that has ever been imagined there. Some other people feel like, some other theologians believe, and it could be a combination of those things, that when it talks about the hailstone and it talks about burning with fire, that it could be that we have produced in our world and this time enough nuclear weapons that could take everything down in a city in an hour. And the fact that it could be not only the fact of earthquakes, it could not be the fact only of a tsunami, it could be the fact that we ourselves do that and destroy what is Babylon at that time. In other words, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but he describes it vividly when he says this, that this city is like a great millstone being thrown into the water. Now, you know, an interesting play on that is, is right down Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Matthew 18, verse 6 is an important verse there. You remember what Jesus said? He was talking about the little ones. He stood somebody, a child up in the midst of them, and he told his disciples, says, in order to, to be a, a believer of mine, in order to be a disciple, you have to become like one of these. And he goes on, he says, in order to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be like a child. And then he says in verse 6, he says this, and if anyone makes one of these little ones of mine, talking about those who are believers, if anyone causes one of these little ones of mine to what? To stumble, it would be better that they would have what? A heavy millstone tied around their neck and they'd be thrown where? Into the depths of the sea. Okay, you get that in your mind. If anyone has caused any of my little ones who believe in me to stumble, that judgment would be better. Now, go back to the revelation. He says the big angel throws this large millstone into to the waters, which would cause a tsunami of, of, of an action in order for that judgment because of all of those throughout time in this Babylonian system that has caused my little ones to stumble. Judgment will come. And what does it say about it? It says in verse 22, and the sound of the mill 
And the, the sound of a mill will not be heard any longer. What does it say in verse 21? And it will not be found any longer. Babylon will be destroyed. That system, those social systems will be destroyed. The judgment of God has come for what? For God to make all things new. What all does it affect in life? Look at verse 23 or verse 22 and 23 when it talks about the wiping out of Babylon. And the sound of the harpist and musician and flute player and trumpeters will not be heard any longer. And no craftsman, any craft will be found in it any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be found in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard of you any any longer. For your merchants were great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. None of those blessed things will happen in you any longer for you will not be found. The judgment of God upon Babylon the Great. Say, boy, that sounds pretty depressing. Not to me. (laughs) I'm not going to be here, bless God. Amen? I'm not going to be here. And the point that makes it not depressing is that remember, God must judge God must judge, God must destroy in order for God to what? Remake. And we've been wanting to get over here to this part where he remakes. We're wanting to get over this good stuff and everybody wants to hurry and get over there. Well, I'm here to tell you, chapter 18 says, it's been removed. It's been removed that I can remake it. That I can remake it. There's only one thing left. All right, he's taking care of the corrupt religion, chapter 17. He's taking care of corrupt government, corrupt commerce, corrupt social life. He's taking care of all of that in chapter 18. In chapter 19, there's one thing left, and that is he has to take care of ungodly military. The military, and it being under control by the Antichrist, false prophet, and Satan. And Jesus is going to deal with that. Amen. In the sixth bowl, it is him dealing with it in what is called the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon. So chapter 19 is the last thing we have to see him deal with to make all things new. To be able to get it all out of the way to make all things new. And chapter 19, the first part of it is called the fourfold hallelujah. It's the hallelujahs from the realms of heaven. Because God has done what he has to do to make all things new. And from this point in time, it's just victory after victory. Throwing the old antichrist and the old false prophet in the pits. Bless God. Binding old Satan for a season of a thousand years. The thousand year reign. After the thousand year reign, when he deals with Satan finally and ultimately, and when he makes a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, all of that's good news, amen? But it cannot happen unless he first judge, destroy, so he can make things new. And he says in chapter 18, I will deal with those issues. I will deal with those issues. What are we called to do? Be ye different. Be ye separate. Do not experience the plagues of Babylon. For you are intermingled 
and how sin affects all of those things. Be ye different. Be ye separate. And call forth to all that you know to be redeemed. Amen. To get redeemed. Get saved. Have your life changed. Call forth. That's our calling. That's our calling. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.